Bible, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. We're walking through Corinthians to get the flow of Paul's thoughts and to understand what he's trying to communicate us as followers of Jesus. Over and over he uses the word Lord, which means we surrender our lives to him. And we are more than just fans that are cheering from the stands. We are following Jesus and we're giving all of our lives to him. You may have heard, or maybe you think, or maybe I've been taught, that God has a split personality. The Old Testament God is a God of anger, a God of wrath, but the New Testament God is a God of love and a God of grace, and somehow they are very different from one another. And usually when we say the New Testament God is a God of love and a God of grace, we mean God doesn't really care what I do. He's somehow some senile old guy up in the sky. But listen, God does not have a split personality. The Bible says he never changes. And so in chapter 10, what Paul's going to do is he's going to connect the New Testament with the Old Testament because the God of the New Testament is not different from the God of the Old Testament. In fact, in several occasions in the Old Testament, we read this. God is slow to anger and abounds in steadfast love. Numerous places in the Old Testament, we read that God is, what, slow to become angry, and he abounds in love. And so what does that mean? That means he's very much a God of love and a God of mercy, even in the Old Testament. And so now Paul comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's an old saying, if you don't learn from history, you are doomed to repeat it. Or Paul wants us to know if we are ignorant of history, We are doomed. And so in chapter 10, he picks up his thought. But look what he ends in chapter 9. In verse 27, what does he say? He says that I discipline myself. He said, literally, I beat myself black and blue, not literally, but spiritually and discipline-wise, so that when I finish the race, I or I will finish the race, and I will get the prize. Because in verse 27, he says, after I preach to others, he said, I don't want myself to what be disqualified. Remember, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, in fact, when every book of the Bible was written, there was no chapter and verse numbers. So it wasn't like Paul wrote 27, da 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 da, now a big 10. It flows from one to the next. So what's the very next thing that Paul says? Right after he says that I don't want to be disqualified for the prize, that I understand in my own life as an apostle with all the privileges and all the things that go with that, I still need to be disciplined. I still need to to practice what I'm preaching. Otherwise, I too may be disqualified. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers. He goes right into his next thought. And he's saying, Corinthians, he's saying to us believers today, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. And so what Paul's going to do is he gives us a history lesson. And the reason he gives us a history lesson is for some moral guidance in our lives. He's clearly concerned about their ignorance, about what they don't know or the things that they think they know that are not correct. So what does he say? He starts talking and he says, our ancestors and the uh, escape from Egypt, the, the Passover, the deliverance from Egypt was a mile marker for the Old Testament nation of Israel. And after they left, what happened? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And God led them by day by a pillar of cloud and by fire at night. And so Paul says, our ancestors were all under the cloud. They passed through the sea. That was the Red Sea where the Egyptians were pursuing them. The Egyptians just realized they let their entire labor force go. And so they had to go get them back. And the people were afraid. And so God parted the sea and they walked through on dry ground. 
Paul says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank the same spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. And so here's what Paul is saying. He says that this this God supernaturally provided for them. That word where it says spiritual food and spiritual drink, it was real food and it was real drink. But what God did was he supernaturally provided for them. How did he supernaturally provide? When the people didn't have water to drink, what did Moses do? He struck the rock and the water came out. When the people said, we don't have any bread to eat, we're out here, we're going to die. What happened? God sent them manna, and so every day they went out and gathered up the manna. So it was, it was real food, it wasn't spiritual, like it wasn't invisible, but it was supernaturally provided. And here's what Paul says. Paul is talking to us. He says, okay, believers, okay, New Testament Christians, those in Corinth, here's what happened. All of the Israelites left. They all were following Moses. They were what, baptized into the sea and into the cloud, and they, they had this spiritual food. And who gave them the spiritual food? It was Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, Jesus was providing. And then he gets to verse 5. And look what he says. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. The ancient Israelites presumed upon these privileges. Here's what they thought. God loves us. He delivered us from Egypt. And now we can do anything we want. He has, we have his favor. We have become out from the yoke of bondage of slavery in Egypt. He's providing for us. And now because we have this blessing, we can act any way we want and do anything we want because God has smiled on us. And Paul says, put on the brakes. He gets to verse five and look what that word is. Nevertheless, in spite of all of these things, God was not pleased with most. See what Paul says? What does Paul say? All of them came out. All of them had the blessing. All of them had the protection. All of them had the food. All of them had the deliverance. All of them had the water. And yet with most of them, God was not pleased, which meant that all came out, but only some of them pleased the Lord. Why is Paul saying this? He wants us to learn a lesson from this. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, it says, And with whom was he not angry for those 40 years? The verse is on your notes. Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? See, we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Here's what happened. They forgot they, they, they gave up trusting God and faithing in God and, and trusting Him for their deliverance. And they got a little arrogant. They said, well, look what God has done for us. All these blessings and all these great things. And now we can act however we want. If we're not careful, we can think that same thing, can't we? We have all these spiritual blessings in Christ. We have all these things that Jesus did for us. And somehow we think that because we are blessed and because we are favored by God because of Jesus, we can just do anything we want and act any way we want. And because of the blessing, it doesn't matter. But what Paul is reminding us that while all Israelites had come out, God was not pleased with most of them. All the adults had died in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb. You remember the story? The, Moses sent the spies to the promised land to spy it out, and they came back, and they said, there's grapes this big, right? And there's abundant food. 
but there's big people in the land and we're not able to go conquer the land and now we're going to operate out of fear. And Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. And the ten that had the bad report stirred up the crowd and everybody started grumbling and everybody started once again to say, see, you just brought us out here to kill us. So God, because of their grumblings and because of their moanings, they all died in the wilderness His point is that the Israelites had the same sorts of benefits that Christians do, even benefits in Christ. We have all of these blessings, and because of those the blessings that they had, it did not secure them from perishing in the desert and losing out on God's final and greatest blessing, which was the promised land. Later in the Jewish history, we see in the Old Testament, the Jewish people thought this. In fact, in Jeremiah, the Jewish people said, we have the temple, the temple, the temple. We can do whatever we want. And then we go to the temple. We say, look, I'm in the temple. And Jeremiah said, nope, it's not going to cut it. God's still going to punish you for your blatant sin. And if we're not careful in our lives, we can say, Lord, I'm at church, I'm at church, I'm at church. And then we go do whatever we want. And God's like, ah, it's just not going to cut it. You see, our blessings bring great responsibility. Our blessings bring this loyalty and allegiance to Jesus But great initial spiritual blessings are not a guarantee of continuing divine favor. The Israelites had to learn that the hard way. And so Paul is telling us, he says, I don't want you to have to learn this the hard way. I want you to learn from their history so that you don't end up like they did. Because if there wasn't a possibility for us to end up like they did, chapter 10 is meaningless. But Paul is saying, listen... That there's a lesson for us to be learned here because if we don't discipline our lives, like at the end of chapter 9, we go into strict training and we do it to get this crown and we don't give up and we keep pressing on. And so Paul says, I want to give you this little history lesson to encourage us. And so that's what he's doing for us today. Maybe you're a fan of history and you like history. And Paul's going to give us his history lesson. And so I want you personally, as you hear this history lesson, is to think about, Lord, what are you trying to uh, tell us through these uh, examples from history? Look what he says in verse 6. Now, these things occurred as examples. Those things, Paul said, are examples. They're more like moral models. Paul's saying these incidents in the life of Israel, this incident in the, in the history of Israel, are serving for us that we need to learn something from them. We need to learn something from the history of God's people. And so he goes on, he says, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil desires as they did. And so these examples that we have of the Israelites, and what is the example? The example is they all had these blessings. It didn't matter who you are or who you were, the manna came down. You could have been the most kind Israelite or the meanest Israelite. You still went out and got the manna. It didn't matter who you were. When the water was gushing from the rock, you were still allowed to drink from the rock. It had nothing to do with who you were. It was just the blessing of the Lord. And the Israelites thought, well, hey, I have the blessing of the Lord, so he must be okay with whatever I'm doing. And Paul's like, no, this is going to be an example that we need to learn something from. They all had these divine privileges, but the problem was they didn't respond back in love and faith. That's what, the, that's what the verse in Hebrew says on your notes. Because of their unbelief. They had all of these things, 
and yet they did not love the Lord. They did not respond back in faith. The Israelites were privileged by God's grace to receive these supernatural blessings above and beyond all other peoples of the earth, but they were unwilling to exercise self-control and holiness and love for God. They used the freedom that they had, the freedom from bondage in Egypt, and they used that freedom as an occasion to indulge their own desires. There's a, listen, there's always a risk in freedom. When we are free, and we are free people, God has created us as free will creatures. We have freedom to choose. Free people are autonomous. We are not controlled by outside forces, but Peter reminds us, he says there's a risk. Look what this verse says. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Here the Israelites are, and when they are free, they figure that I am free from everything. I'm no longer subjected to the uh, Egyptians, and now I, now I am free, which means what? I'm no longer subjected to the Egyptians, which means I'm no longer subjected to God. They thought their freedom meant that they were free to do anything they wanted, and God says, no, I've, I've, I've freed you to be the people that I've called you to be, but that's not how they responded. And so, there, so there's, a, there's a couple risks to freedom, and one of those risks of freedom is I can do whatever I want. Kids say that, but we sometimes think that, but we don't say it like kids do. You can't tell me what to do. If you've ever tried to discipline someone else's kids, or you were one of the kids disciplined by another parent, what's the thought you had in your mind? You're not my parent. You can't tell me what to do, right? They, they were probably right, and probably what you were doing needs discipline. But we have this thing that because I'm free from your authority, I can do whatever I want. And so on one end, it's this freedom to think we can do whatever we want. And then so then we got some well-intentioned, or maybe not so well-intentioned people, and they go on the other side, and they give us all these laws and regulations. And they said, to curb your freedom, I'm going to give you all these rules. And those, so we, now we end up with a list of rules. It's all the do's and the don'ts. And so our freedom in Christ, we have to be careful that we don't, we, we're not free to do whatever we want. But then the other side of that is, we're not, we don't have all these regulations. Dress code and all this stuff that we impose on our, on our walk with Jesus. So one extreme or the other extreme is not where God wants us. But as always, there's a warning and an example for us to, to be in that, in that middle. What is it? It's choices that are produced by faith and love. That's what God wants from us. When we are free in Christ, when Christ has freed us from our sin, God is not saying to us, okay, now you can go do whatever you want. You're, you're just free to, to be whoever you are and to make all, all of your own choices. And No, God's not saying that. And God's not also saying you need to find all these rules and regulations. But what God is saying, you need to be motivated by faith and love. And that's where the Israelites were not. And so that's what he warns us. So Paul gives us two warnings. He says these things occurred in verse 6 as warnings to keep us from setting our hearts on evil desire as they did. So the first warning that Paul gives us is this. Do not desire evil things. He says don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they got up to indulge in revelry. The very first place that God warns us from history is to not uh, pursue an evil thing of idolatry. Paul explicitly is concerned about this. In fact, chapter 10 is in this whole section of Corinthians where Paul is talking about what? Meat that had been offered to idols. Listen, our hearts are idol factories. We always try to create a substitute for God. 
We always want something we can control and something that we can fashion into what we think. And so our hearts are these, these factories that produce idols. And so we look for our security. For our, we look for the ultimate in all kinds of other places except for God. And so the root, Paul says, is it's idolatry. In fact, he's thinking of a history lesson from the Israelites. Moses was on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. What were the rest of the people doing? Praying? Worshiping? No, they were taking off their jewelry, and Aaron threw it in the oven, and out comes a golden calf. That's what they were doing. God is up talking to Moses and the people, and then Paul's talking about this. What are you saying? He says that they, the people, they were idolaters. They sat down to eat and drink. Where did the eat and the drink come from? It came from God's hand. It was the manna, and it was the water, and they, they sat down to eat and drink. And they may have even said, bless us, Lord, for this food we are about to receive. Amen. And they ate. And then what does Paul say? They got up, and they indulged in revelry. The word is really a little harsher. It's, it's more like an orgy. It's this, uh, it's this uh, immoral act that they were doing. And so on one hand, they sat down, and they ate, and then the next a minute they were up and they were indulging in revelry. Why? Because they really didn't think God was who he was. They had created this idol. It was a golden calf. Now we know the golden calf can't see. We can control it. We can carry it around. And don't we want a God like that? Let's just be honest. We want a God we can put in our pocket. Makes us feel secure. Right? We walk around, but we don't really want him to see. We don't really want him to hear. We don't really want him to speak and call the shots in us. And so we just put him in our pocket. And the only time we're concerned about God is like when we leave our cell phones at home and we get all nervous. <laughs> Where's God? I got to go get him and put him back in my pocket. Now I feel good again. That's what the Israelites were doing. God, we wanted just enough of you to feel good. Enough of, a, enough of you to fill our stomachs. Enough of you to quench our thirst. But other than that, we're going to serve this idol. Listen, no object, thing, creature, human being, angel, or spirit, except the Holy Spirit, is to be revered, worshipped, adored, exalted, prayed to, trusted in, or looked to for eternal life. To do so is idolatry. Anything we look to, to give us security, to give us peace, to give us purpose, is an idol. It's not God. That which we trust, serve, and put first, or give the essence to in our lives is our God. Think about the thing you can't live without. That's your God. I can't live without my family. I can't live without my job. I don't know if I can live without my health. See, all those things that we say I can't live without, we have put that in that place where it is God with a little G. And that's why the very first commandment is what? You shall have no other gods before me. The word is not numerical succession. God is not saying I need to be number one and this is two, and this is three, and that's not what the word means. Before means God's like, I don't even want to see them before me. I don't want any gods before me. It's not that we put God first. Listen, we, uh, we try, we say, oh, God, I'm going to put you first. No, God's like, I'm gonna, there is no second. What do you mean put me first? I'm the only. This shouldn't even be a challenge in your life. I don't want any other gods before me. In other words, I don't want to see any other gods in your life. And so Paul's talking about this food sacrifice at idols in Corinthians, and whether we should do so, eat at the temple, even though we know the idol is nothing. And so what Paul is saying is, be careful. Because what you're flirting with could ensnare you. What you're flirting with, even though now seems innocent, can, and can ensnare you and it can become an idol in your life. So they sat down to drink and they rose up to indulge in revelry. Well, that word revelry is the next thing Paul talks about. It's immorality. 
We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And one day, 23,000 of them died. Moral means that which is right, and immoral means that which is wrong. And so in Numbers 25, we see that the women of Moab had sexual relations with the men of Israel. What happened is they induced them to sacrifice to their gods. You look through the Old Testament, and when did people go astray? There's two things that were so intricately connected, idolatry and immorality. They, are, they go together. Do you know why we don't want God to be who he, wants, we, who he is? Because he gets them to call the shots in our life, and we want to do immoral things if we're honest. And so we make excuses, or we make a God that only sees the good things we do and never sees the bad things we do. He only approves of us. And so Paul says this, there's this connection between immorality and idolatry. The people ate food, it says, sacrificed to idols, and they bowed down before their gods. And all through the Old Testament, this God who delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, the rest of the history is they were being enticed over and over and over to worship other gods, to replace the one true God with the gods with the little g's. That's all the conflict we see throughout the Old Testament is what? They over and over and over. And sexual immorality and idolatry are in the same sentence. Why? Because Romans 1 tells us. What do we do? We exchange the truth of God for what? Tell me, church. A lie. We exchange the creator for what? Created things. And it leads to all kinds of problems, and immorality is one of those. When I, listen, when I start to believe the creation rather than the creator, I'm probably doing it to justify some immorality in my life. So Paul says those two things are, are very connected. And so he's referring to this story. And then he says this is a warning from Israel's history that this idolatry and this immorality will have severe consequences. But we keep asking God over and over, and we keep arm wrestling with him. And it's to put him to the test, which is the third thing that Paul says is what they did. We should not test Christ as some of, they, uh, some of them did. And they were killed by snakes and he dealt with idolatry and he dealt with immorality. Now he turns about testing the Lord. And so what happens over and over in the nation of Israel, God provides. And what do they do? Complain. And they're testing. And they're always wanting God to do something else or do something differently or, or the things that he does. And so they're, they're always testing him. And so what they said is, we didn't have bread, we didn't have water. And so God gave them the man. And what did they do? Oh, ugh. All we have is this manna. Every day it's manna. Complain, complain. We don't have any meat. So God sent the quail. And then what happens? They ate so much quail they got sick. <laughs> while, the, while the meat was still hanging out of their mouths, right? And so that's what they were doing. They were testing. They wanted the blessing. They got the blessing. They didn't respond in love and faith. And then they complained about the blessing because it wasn't how they wanted it. And they were testing God. And Paul says, listen, if you are testing God, you need to learn from Israel's history. They tested him over and over and over they were trying to force God's hand and trying to force him to do something that God was, had already done or God is not going to do. Here's the word, really, that Paul overlies all of these things that Paul is talking about. Presumption. Presumption. We presume upon God. 
We think he should be the way we want him to be. We think he should do what we want him to do. We think he should act the way we want him to act. We presume upon him, testing him and expecting him to do things that are out of his character and things that he are not going to do. And so the Corinthians presumed they were immune to idols. They said these idols are nothing. And so we can go eat the meat offered to idols. And so we're presuming upon God. And Paul's saying, you got to be careful Because if you presume upon God, and we presume upon God just by thinking God somehow accepts everything that we do as okay. The Bible says he winks at sin, or he just kind of closes his eyes. That's presuming upon God. Presuming upon God is is, uh, taking his relationship and substituting it for something else. And then we presume upon God, and we use those words like, well, God understands, or God now is a God of love and grace. He's not like that Old Testament God. And Paul says, yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell you. He's not really that different than you think he is. Which leads him to the fourth area that he wrote about, and that was grumbling. Oh man, there's numerous examples in the Old Testament of God's people grumbling. In number 16, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and God sent a plague, and thousands of people died. And that's where Paul is referring to, not content with their freedom. Listen, they have been in Egypt for 430 years, and now they were free. But they're not content with the freedom. They presumed upon God by wanting more. God had guided them and protected them, a cloud uh, by day and fire by night. And what they do, they exchange this blessing of freedom for self-pity and ingratitude. So what they did was, the Israelites were the victors. Right? They, were the, they had the victory over the Egyptians. They left out, they came out of Egypt. And now in the wilderness, what did they do? They traded their victory and now they were the victim. <laughs> God, you brought us out here to kill us. You're not, you're going to let us starve. We had all these great food back in Egypt and all we have is this manna and this water and all we're doing. And what they did was they changed the victory into victimhood. Listen, we are victors in Christ. We have the victory in Christ. And when we are ungrateful and we are not thankful, what happens is we start to grumble against God. Christians are not to grumble. And what happens is it appears that those who are the most blessed are the most presumptuous and complain the most. Here the Israelites were the most blessed and yet they were complaining the most. Ingratitude is the cause of a lot of wickedness. When I am not grateful for what I have, I want what I don't have. And what does that lead me to? That leads to what? To greed or to envy or for for jealousy. And so what we start to do is we start to presume upon God. And God has given us us these blessings. And God, and we're like, yeah, but Lord, did you see what so-and-so has? (laughs) I know you gave me this, but I really like that. And what we start to do is we start to grumble, and we start to complain. And Paul says, you got to be careful, because I want you to learn a lesson. Grumbling people, it doesn't go well for them. They're going to really have something to grumble about when all is said and done. Grumbling is immoral. Ingratitude means that somehow we deserve the blessing. We deserve the thing. That somehow I'm good enough, smart enough, intelligent enough. I have all this stuff, and somehow I deserve it. Do you know what, do you know what gratitude means? Gratitude 
is that, that what, we get that word gracious, right? The word grace. It's, a, it's an undeserved gift. And so when I'm grateful, what I realize is I am not deserving of it, but God has given it to me. And so I'm going to thank him because when I start to think I deserve it, now I start to presume upon God. And so I say, Lord, you, I deserve this. And now tomorrow I deserve this. And the next day I deserve this. And what happens when God says, who made you God? You're not getting it. And we grumble and we're mad at God. So our, the root of our grumbling, if we're not careful, is we are starting to test God. And Paul makes this connection. You see how what he does? He goes from idolatry to, to immorality to, to testing to grumbling. Aren't those things all connected? And Paul says this, if we are blessed in Christ, we have to be careful Because we can start to presume upon God. Remember, the whole reason Paul's writing this, he wants us to learn a lesson from Israel so that we don't repeat it. He said, you see what they did? I don't want this to happen to you. Because here's the second warning that he gives. Be careful that you don't fall. These things, again, Paul says in verse 11, happened to them as examples and were written down as what? Warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Paul says, as Christians, we are the culmination. Everything in history was pointing to the Christian age. This is it. This is what we have. We have this age of Christ. We have this age of the church. It's the goal of all ages. It's the age that's marked by the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ. And this is the age that we're in. And there are no more ages except eternal life. And so Paul says, in this time, if you're living between the resurrection and the return of Jesus, you're in this age and you need to take some warning. Well, what's the warning? It's a, it, it is given as an example to us. So, here's what he says. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Paul was giving a warning to the Corinthians who said, You know, I am so secure in who I am. I know that an idol is nothing. And I know that the food offered to an idol is nothing. And so I can eat the food offered to an idol and have no consequence. And Paul says, you might want to think about that. You got to be careful. Don't go try something because you think you can handle it. Everyone who has sinned, everyone who is now addicted, all started somewhere. It all started maybe with the lie that I can handle this, or I am going to do it just once. We do it once, and after the once, we feel terrible. (laughs) And we say, Lord, I feel terrible. I'm never going to do it again until the next time we do it. And then we don't feel as bad. Lord, I feel rotten. I feel terrible. I'm never doing this again the next time we do it. And then we don't feel as bad as the second time. We certainly don't feel as bad as the first time. You see what happens? Paul says you need to be careful. And this whole time, we can be lying to ourselves and telling to ourselves that, that, that we're okay. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. There's nothing wrong with me. It's a misplaced confidence that believers can continue to participate in immorality and idolatry and never be punished by God. We presume upon God. God, I can do whatever I want. Now, we don't say that out loud, but we think that. 
when we, the choices that we make. And so here's what Paul says. If you are thinking this, that there is, comes this temptation, and he says any temptation may be resisted. Listen, we may fall, but we're never pushed. When it comes to sin, we may fall, but we're never pushed. Adam and Eve tried that. God came to Adam and said, what? Why did you sin? What did Adam do? She pushed me. Eve, right there. She pushed me. It wasn't my fault. God goes to Eve and asks Eve, and what does she say? The serpent, he pushed me. It wasn't my fault. Paul is saying we are responsible for our choices. We are responsible for our sinful choices. Nobody makes us or forces us to sin. I'm not talking about sins that have been inflicted upon us. We need to make the distinction. Somebody comes up and, and socks you in the jaw. That was a sin they inflicted on you, right? We're, we're, we're talking about sinful choices that we make. We are responsible for them. How do we know? Paul says this, no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to mankind. We want to say, Lord, you don't understand my situation. Or we say that to other people who ask us or challenge us. And you say, you just don't, want to, you don't understand what it's like to be me. What are we doing? It's called special pleading. We are pleading our case based on who we are in our circumstances and whatever it is. And so what we're saying is, I'm off the hook because my case is special. Paul says you might want to rethink that. There's no temptation that you, that's, that you have received that isn't common to other people as well. You're not the only one. That's encouragement on one hand that we're not the only one. But what the Corinthians were trying to do was this case of special pleading. It was, but you don't understand my situation. Paul says, no, every temptation is, is, is common. In other words, that there are other people who have experienced it. But look what it says. It says that God is faithful, us not so much, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I've, I've seen these memes, and you have seen these memes, and it goes like this. God won't bring something into my life that I can't handle. It's not true. There's no sin that you can't handle, but there are some situations in your life that you can't handle. And we've been sold a lie where that verse has been pulled out of context. It's not that God's not going to bring you anything you can't handle. What he says is, is that he's, he's not going to bring any sin that you cannot resist. Why? Because, be, because when you are tempted, in uh, verse 13, he will also provide a way out. Do you see what happens? These things come in pairs. There's the temptation and the way out. Temptation and the way out. Who's faithful? God is faithful. There's always the way out. The problem is we don't avail ourselves of the way out. But God is faithful. In every temptation, there's a way out. Every computer has an on and off switch. If you're tempted on the computer, you turn it off. That's the way out. If, they're, if you're with people and they are tempting you to do something, over and over the Bible's like, flee, you need to get out of there. There, there is a way out. That's God's faithfulness. Sometimes we're not so faithful and we think, I can handle it. I can do this. And what happens, Paul says, I want you to, I want you to hear this history lesson. It's not going to go well for you. It just isn't. Other people have tried it 
and it doesn't work. Israel's circumstances, their culture, their technology, it's radically different from ours today where we live. But our privileges surpass theirs. Our privileges that we have in Christ surpass those of the Israelites. So Paul is arguing, and what Paul is saying is, if the Israelites presumed upon God because they were blessed, Christian, you need to be extra careful because we have far more blessings and we can't presume upon God. Be careful that you stand or that that you don't fall. In other words, what Paul is saying is, don't be cocky. Don't be so arrogant. That, that everything I'm doing is, is, is godly and, and there's no room for improvement in my life and there's no room for discipline in my life and there's no room for growth in my life and everything. Listen, if God approves of everything you do, you are worshiping a God with a little g. The God of the universe, we're going to come up against things that he is going to say no to. If your God is a yes God, you are worshiping an idol. I'm telling you, you are. It's not the God of the universe. I see people all the time on Facebook. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they want to do. It doesn't matter what they say. Somehow God has endorsed it. And they are worshiping a God with a little G, not the God of the universe. God of the universe will tell us no. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. And if you do that, you're going to be disciplined. But we like the God, the kind of semi-senile God, don't we? Like, we like a God with, a, just, a, with just, a, just enough of dementia to forget our stuff, but not to forget our name. We want him just to know who we are, but we want him to kind of forget everything we do. And Paul's like, you, you, you might want to reconsider that. That's not, who the, that's not the God that we are worshiping. So we refuse to learn from history, and we're doomed to repeat it. So you say, well, well what's the use? Or what, what, what benefit do we have? Listen. Our assurance is based upon the work of God in Christ. We need to hear the gospel. Our assurance is based upon the work of God in Christ, but it doesn't negate what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In other words, I am saved, and my position with God is because of the work that Jesus has done for me. He's my substitute, right? He paid my penalty for my sins. But Paul also wants to temper that, because if we're not careful, we can end up like the Israelites and say, I am in, and I'm good to go, and away I go. (laughs) And Paul says, no, you need... With those blessings, there comes a commitment on your part and a a love on your part and a surrender on your part. Remember what he said at the beginning of the chapter? All, some, all, most, and some. All had the blessing. Most displeased God and some survived. It's, It's how God works. So the Corinthians had rationalized their disregard and they were saying, well, let the weak person look out for himself. I'm going to eat whatever I want He can uh, work that out for himself. And so what happens is, all of these situations from the wilderness, people let go of their trust and their obedience to God, and it brought God's judgment on them. And so we have this habit of the Corinthians, and they eat at these feasts where these idols were, uh, this meat sacrifice to idols, and they were honoring idols. And what they said was, it's what I've always done. It's just too hard to give up. You know, the meat down at the pagan temple, it's the best meat in town. Whoo-wee! They do it just right. A little pink in the middle. Nice juice flowing around. 
I, I can't give it up. And Paul's saying, you might want to rethink that. You're going to have to give it up. You're not okay just because you think you're okay. We're okay because God says we're okay. The Bible says what is deceitful? Our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts will always tell us that we're better than we are and the other person is worse than they are. But God always looks at us and says, you're pretty bad yourself. Yeah, the other person's bad, but you're pretty bad yourself. And so what's the answer? Listen, the answer is always Jesus. God not only warns, but what does he do? He provides the way. Even in the Old Testament, Paul said what? Who gave the Israelites the spiritual drink and the spiritual food? It was Jesus. Jesus even supplied in the Old Testament. The, old, the Israelites were grumbling against God. And so what happened was a plague started to come because of their ingratitude. And the Bible says Moses made a bronze snake. You know what he did with it? He put it up on a pole. And anybody who looked at the snake was able to be spared. Anybody who was grumbling, anybody who had done all these things, when they looked at the snake, they were able to be spared. Now, Jesus picks up on this, and in John 3, uh, 14 and 15, he says this, Just as Moses lifted up in the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You see what God just did there? God said, in our wanderings, what do we do? We look to Jesus. We don't look to our gods with the little G's. We don't look to ourselves. So the New Testament is different from the Old Testament in one sense, that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. The Old Testament, it was poured out on them. But in the New Testament, his wrath for our sin is poured out on Jesus. But God still disciplines, and, and God still de- there's still consequences. And we can't presume upon the sacrifice of Jesus to say, well, God doesn't care what I do. I can do whatever I want because Jesus took, my, took the wrath. Listen, Jesus did take the wrath, but there's still consequences. You lie and you get caught lying. There's trust that's broken. Yeah, but I'm, I'm in Jesus. Yes, you are. But you're presuming upon God's grace that there shouldn't be any consequences. The New Testament is the same as the Old Testament. How is that? We must keep believing and faithing and trusting, not giving in to sin, because sin can strangulate our faith. We think we've st- where we're standing, but we've fallen when we get to that place where we are just doing what we want to do. We don't have any regard for what God says on the matter. I've said this before. There's a difference between warring with sin and willful sin. And when we get to the place of willful sin, the writer of Hebrews says there's no sacrifice left. When you get to the place where you're presuming upon God to say, God, this is just how I am. I eat meat at the temple all the time. I can't change. And this is just how I am. What are we doing? We're presuming upon God. Because what we're telling to God is, you need to get over it. <laughs> God, this is how I am. You got the problem, not me. Whew. I don't want to end up talking like, to God like that. Do you? But we do that. We say, God, it's not my fault. God, I can't change this. God, there's no hope. Because God says, no, no, no. I provided a way out with this temptation. I want you to succeed, but don't presume upon me. We continue to live in this forgiven state, not because we don't sin, but because we keep trusting Jesus. And because we keep trusting Jesus, we're loving him more, and we're hating the things he hates, which means we're becoming more like Jesus. So Paul says... 
that we have this freedom in Christ, but don't presume upon the freedom that we have in Christ. So what's the opposite of presumption? What's the opposite of arrogance? It's humility. It's always humility. It's surrender. It's saying, Lord, I, I humbly, I humbly look at me the way you see me. In Christ, I'm what? I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted. But God, I also see those places that you want to change. So my prayer is, Lord, you help me look for the way out. All I'm doing is I'm focusing on the temptation, but I'm not looking for the way out. What would happen in our minds if we started looking for the way out? Do you think we would be different? Absolutely. We presume upon God when we say, Lord, you just don't understand. There, there is no way out. And God's like, I told you I was going to be faithful and provide the way out. You just have to look for it. And then we'll find the victory. and We'll find the success. And we'll find all those things as we, as we continue to run the race with, with discipline. Listen, because of Jesus, we are not 100% good, but we're 100% forgiven. We are. And because of that, I don't want to ever presume upon my 100% forgiven. That is not like God gives us a spiritual debit card, a preloaded debit card. God doesn't give this and say, you're a Christian now. Here's 100 spiritual dollars. Go and if you and sin and spend up all this money. That's not what God does to us. That's presuming upon him. We're 100% forgiven, which means I, I, I look at my blessings and I honor him and I give my life to him. And I say, Lord, you're the one that's faithful. I know I'm not so faithful, but I want to be faithful looking for the way out that you said you were going to provide. Paul gives us this history lesson. Why? Because so we're not doomed to repeat the mistakes and the failings of the Israelites. Now, it sounds harsh. It just does. But it's tempered. Listen, it's tempered. As the snake was lifted in the wilderness, so the Son of Man was lifted up. And when I look to Jesus, I look to him, he provides what? My strength. He provides the goal. He provides the place that I'm going. And so when I look at Jesus, I'm not even looking at the temptation. I'm not looking at myself. I'm not looking at the other gods with the little G's, but I'm looking to Jesus. Someday we'll be free. We just will. We'll be free from these bodies of flesh of the, with its sins and temptations. And someday we're going to be free. Like the Israelites, they were free from Egypt, right? But they still had this struggle in the, prom, in the wilderness. Until they, so we still have this struggle in the wilderness. But while we are here, while we are not yet free from this world, free from the curse of this world, free from the uh, body of flesh, we still need to fight and struggle and be all that God wants us to be. Well, I just can't do that. And I presume upon God. God says, I know you can't. That's so why I gave you my spirit. So I gave you my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to what? Help us to be not a spirit, but holy, right? He, it's his so God's like, I gave, you, I gave you my word. I give you the fellowship of the church. I give you the fellowship of the kingdom. I, I give you all these things. So, right, you, you can't do it by yourself, but I've given you Jesus. Would you look to Jesus today? Look for that way out. It's a humbling thing that sometimes we just, we just think we presume upon God. It's like when you move out of, out of the house and you go home, and every time you go home, you expect a meal to be put on the table, right? Mom, where's my dinner? Son, you're 45 years old. You haven't lived here for 25 years. Your dinner's at your own house. 
We presume, right? We just, we just expect. And sometimes we do that with God. We just expect it. And God says, here's who I am. Here's what I want you to do. Here's who you are in relationship to me. Don't presume upon me. I'll give you these blessings, but I want you to receive them. Listen, I want you to receive the blessings in humility and love and faith. That's what we do. That's the answer to the blessings. Not to be presumptuous, not to be grumbling, not to be complaining, not to, not to be ordering God around. But to say, Lord, you are the God who provides. Would you please stand and we're going to pray. And so time just to say, Lord, maybe I have been presuming upon you. Maybe I've expected you to be who I wanted you to be. Or Lord... I have all these spiritual blessings and somehow I use it as an excuse to go do whatever I want to do and sin and do all the things. Or Lord, maybe I've been giving you excuses that this is just who I am and there's no hope for change and I've not been looking for the way of escape. And so that's what God challenges us to do today. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for Paul's history lesson. And God, we know history is not easy. Tough things happen. People get hurt, all kinds of things. And God's no different spiritually with a spiritual history lesson. Hard things have happened to your people because we have forgotten and we presumed upon you. and We have not walked in love and humility and obedience. So God, would you bring us back to that place over these next few moments as we have an opportunity to just be challenged and just to say, Lord, I think I maybe have been presuming upon you. Father, to help us to see you for who you really are, not the God we want you to be. And Father, may we be giving excuses for the way we are, that that's just how I am. But, but God, you have faithfully provided a way out so that we don't have to be the way we are. We can be more like Jesus. So Father, we just want to give up our grumblings and our excuses and our gods with the little G's. Father, surrender our lives to you in humility, thanking you for the blessings we have in Christ. And when we look to him, the one who is hung upon the pole, that we can look to him to be freed from our guilt and our sin. And we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.